Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Bad Lamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. Just by way of a quick announcement or so, uh, we are continuing to meet, obviously, during this season. One of the reasons why we're doing that and why we've been able to do it is because you guys have been so faithful in this past season of time and the protocols that we've asked you to employ, whether that's been the distancing issue, the wearing of the masks, um, things of that nature. And as a result, we've not had any issues during this season. We anticipate we will not going forward. And so we're going to continue to meet. Uh, we have shut down some other items for right now or directed them off campus. Um, with the exception of Axiom, our youth ministry and our 20-somethings ministry, and I want to address that real quickly. Axiom, our youth ministry, is meeting right now for a couple of reasons. One, the schools, while they're not meeting, uh, have a ratio of about 1 to 30 or 40 as far as student-to-leader ratio. Ours is 1 to 3 on a Wednesday night. They're dealing with thousands of students compressed into tight classrooms, low ceilings, uh, tight hallways. We're dealing with 50 to 80 students uh, that are in a very airy environment uh, and a different kind of a setting. And because of some of the needs, one in four students across the nation have indicated suicidal tendencies in this season. We're going to continue to minister during this time. We want to do this thoughtfully. We want to do this wisely, and we may change that at some point in time. But that's what we're doing, and again, it's because you've been so faithful so far in what we've been asking you to do. Three roads of entrance here to the church. One, and some of you are doing that right now by live stream, and some of you have found us by live stream. That is to me the most distant of the roads, but it's still a road, and it's effective, and it's legitimate. Second one is that we have launched our new website. So it's been upgraded since the 1900s to something new now, and I encourage you to check it out. That just launched this past weekend, Another Road. Another road, though, that many of us are extremely excited about is Utica Road. Utica Road is now the pleasure highway of the entire Detroit area. I was coming in from uh, 16 Mile, and they didn't cover the part from Hayes, and so I'm bumbling along, and then I hit that patch of sublime pavement that runs outside our building now all the way to Shaner, and it is the smoothest thing. If you guys want just even a wonderful driving experience on live stream, come and drive on our road and then make a turn into the parking lot. We actually have a, a left turn lane, which seriously is important. We've had four or five accidents that have happened out there because of that, not having that. So having all that, these are the ways that we're operating. This is what's in place. We'll keep you updated as we go forward. Um, if you're a guest here today and we continue to have guests and visitors, we welcome you. Uh, obviously a little different than usual, and I know it's hard greeting one another because you're not sure exactly who's on the other side of that mask, uh, and so when this is all over again, we're going to have to reintroduce ourselves, especially if you're new to our fellowship, so that we'll know who you are. Of course, 
those of you that are new, upon seeing some of our faces, will decide that you'd rather minister and be elsewhere, that's your choice too. Um, but we welcome you today. One of the things we would normally do would be to talk about our offering, and we're doing that in different ways now. So before we get into today, I'm going to ask you to join me just in prayer for a moment. Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you supply. Lord, I pray for those that are present today that don't know you, that they'd feel absolutely no sense of pressure or hassle from not having given or giving in some fashion. They'd feel just as welcome as those who give. Father, for those who have, for those of us that are in relationship with you and understand what this is about, we offer this as a time of thanksgiving, of recognition of your grace in our lives, and we would ask that these things be used with wisdom and purposes for your um, endeavors. We commit this into your hands. We ask that you speak to us today out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be speaking to you today basically two messages. Um, some of you will see that as a benefit. You're getting two for the price of one. Others of you will say, yeah, we'd have been fine with just one. Get us out the door sooner. Um, recently, my family and I took a break. We weren't here last Sunday. Or we were here last Sunday, not the Sunday before. And we went to California for the first break we've had since this whole thing began. And um, it was great. I had called beforehand to ask how COVID had changed things. I don't know if something had changed or I forgot to ask the specific question. But as I'm checking into the hotel, because of something I had noticed earlier, um, coming through San Francisco, I asked if there were some protocols in regards to mask wearing outside of buildings. And they said, oh, yes, you must wear a mask anywhere you go, at any time and place, anywhere. And I'm like, are you serious? Now, I believe in the mask. I'm all for the science stuff, especially in the enclosed areas. But if I'm walking and hiking in the woods and there's no one there within 500 miles of me, I have a bit of an issue. And I found myself irritated. Now, it turned out to not be a big issue for a number of reasons I won't go into. One, I think we should be grateful for what we have here. We grouse about what we have here in Michigan. Guys, compared to some other places, this is really heaven, believe it or not. So appreciate what we have. But the other thing is how anger can become a negative force in our lives and can become actually a very contagious thing affecting others around us. And so the first portion of this message, entitled Two Strikes, is in regards to that. In his autobiography, number one, Billy Martin, a well-known baseball player and coach, talks about hunting in Texas with Mickey Mantle, the highly regarded player of yesteryear. Mickey had a friend who would let him hunt on his property. So Billy and Mickey get in the truck, they drive over to the friend. Uh, Mickey tells Billy, wait in the car, gonna go in and check goes into the friend, friend immediately says, yeah, no problem, you can hunt on my property. He says, one thing though I'd ask of you. He says, McKees, he said, I've got a, an old mule in the barn out there. He's gone blind and it needs to be put down. I just don't have the heart to do it. Uh, if you would please, you know, put the mule down. Now for those who don't know the language, kill the mule. So Mickey agrees. He gets back out in the car with uh, Billy but as he does so, he gets an idea in his head, and he pretends to be angry. He scowls, and he slams the door. And when Billy asks what's wrong, Mickey says, I can't believe it. He's not going to let us hunt. Okay, that's fine. No, I mean, that's, that is so, I've had it. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to do something. He, he slams in the car into gear, starts driving like a maniac. He says, there's an old mule he's got in the barn. I'm going to kill it. And Billy says, you can't do that. And Mickey says, you just watch me. Goes inside the barn, shoots the mule dead. Goes outside, but before he gets outside, he hears two more shots. True story. Comes out to find Billy Martin with the rifle in his hand. His face all red. He says, what have you done? He says, oh, we'll show that son of a gun. I just shot two of his cows, too. <laughs> Anger can be a contagious process. We've been exploring the children of Israel um, in their journey from slaves to becoming warriors, from tribes to become a nation, from people who didn't know God to people who knew God. And as they're traveling through this desert experience for decades on time, their leader has been a guy named Moses. Moses was somebody who had a problem with anger. When he's still a prince of Egypt, he sees someone abusing one of the Hebrews and he kills him, the man who's abusing him. His anger flies loose. Later, as he's leading Israel, he's gone up to the mountain to get the law, and while he's gone, the people go crazy and are doing stupid, sinful actions, and he comes down, and he's so angry, he takes those very first stones of law and shatters them in his anger. And then he has a third event, and this third striking out, if you will, in anger, has to do with drawing water from a rock, and we're going to go to that. But for a moment, let's linger on this first portion here, this first message about anger. If we go to Psalm 37, verse 8, it says, Stop being angry, turn from your rage, do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. I'm not going to ask a raising of hands of how many of you find yourself even mildly irritated during this season. There was a study done on kids in regards to parents and asking what could they change? If they could change anything, what would they change? And they thought it would be more time or other things of this nature. Overwhelmingly, the, number, the, the response was the degree to which my parent handles anger. In other words, the parents, in the kids' views, were prone to flying off the handle and, and getting angry a lot. Now, to be fair, none of those kids have been parents yet and had to deal with kids. But it's interesting that that was one of the primary things that was being expressed. This has been a time, both politically, pandemically, and every other way, this has been a season of rage. But the psalmist says, stop, turn from your rage, don't lose your temper, it only leads to harm. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, in your, sin, in your anger, rather, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. This implies that there's a legitimate anger you can have, but it should not cross over to sin. One could argue the second anger point that, um, uh, fair enough, that Moses had was legitimate. He was angry at the sin of the people because it was going to bring judgment upon them and it defiled their view of God. His anger led him to the point of breaking tablets and doing some of the things he shouldn't have done. But there was a righteousness to that. Sin should anger us. The fact that, that little girls and little boys are trafficked in the Detroit area and in Toledo should anger us. 
The fact that those in authority are torn down without righteousness or those who are of a different race are abused in a certain fashion just strictly for their race. All those different things should anger us, but we shouldn't sin. Jesus has an event in Mark chapter 3 with a person that is ill and the Pharisees are blocking him or trying to persuade him not to address it. And so Mark chapter 3 verse 5, he looks around at them in anger and deeply distressed, distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man who was injured, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. So Jesus is angry, but he's not sinning. He's angry over the fact that they're not caring for this man, that their their certain values or, or, or arrogances were far more important to them than seeing the restoration of a human being. It angered him. There's a legitimacy to that type of anger. Carol Tavris, author of Anger, The Misunderstood Emotion, said this, I have watched people use anger in the name of emotional liberation to erode affection and trust, whittling away their spirits in bitterness and revenge, diminish their dignity in years of spiteful hatred. And I watch with admiration those who use anger to probe for truth, who challenge and change the complacent injustices of life. Anger can be a tool, and it can be a destruction. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, there's an important passage of Scripture that you should dwell on later today, and you should dwell on it in a progressive fashion. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. The first step in this is about getting rid of bitterness. Bitterness, this word, literally refers to a bitter root which results in bitter fruit. And so it talks about some offense, something that has happened to you that takes root in you and it's not killed off. It actually begins to grow and produces a bitter fruit when we refuse to forgive the individual and we refuse to release it and so we get bound up on this. And this bitterness or this bitter root results in the next stage we see here of rage. And the word literally means hot. So the bitter root has grown up with bitter fruit and now we are hot. We are enraged. There's this slow burning inside us that's beginning to boil and churn. But it doesn't stop there. The next step is anger. In the King James, it's referred to as wrath. And so whatever's on the inside is now spilling onto the outside. It's boiling like a pot that's been left too long and then begins to suddenly boil over and scatter hot water everywhere. The fourth step in this is brawling. Another translation is clamor. The original term here has vocal connotations to it. You enter into a vocal contest, into a war of words with the different people around you, this bitterness and rage and, and anger, and now it's brawling or clamoring and, and words are coming forth. And this leads to the fifth step of slander, or in the King James Version, evil speaking. And it means a speech that injures. It's now no longer an argument. Now it is name-calling. Now you're saying things that you wish you had never said at a later time. And this is particularly grievous with those who are closest to us because we know the words. 
that will hurt them that others who are strangers to them do not. And so as the bitterness takes root within us and as the rage builds and the anger and the language and the slander and then it finally comes to that final step that's listed in the scripture here of malice and this word means to injure. Now we desire to hurt someone. Now we strike out. We kick. We hit. We strive with one another. This whole progression is not to be found within the Christian but we are human, and it happens. And when it does, we need to take recognition of what's taking place before it becomes something that becomes a permanent part of our life. Growing up, and as a younger man, I was as close to as a Jamaican as a Czechoslovakian can get. No problem, man. That was my thing on everything. It didn't matter what it was, didn't worry me, didn't bother me. You do whatever the case was, it's like, no problem, we'll move past it. You're an idiot, whatever, we'll move on. Didn't take offense. It was really hard to get me uh, wired up. Certainly not to the point of rage. Not at all. But life moves on. People come and go. You endure hurt and betrayal, your own failures. Other issues come into play. I remember the exact date that I went into my first rage. Notice my first. Implies that there was a second one. We'll stop counting right there. But I can recall it very specifically because it had just been alien to my nature. We're in a season that stirs these kind of emotions more than any other time. How do we defend against that? How do we not allow that to become part of our nature to, or to infect those around us and to become a contagion that can devastate an entire family? We're to get rid of the bitterness. Don't let it take root. We need to identify the first moment that the offense begins to be not just something that needs to be addressed as a matter of course, but something that now takes root and begins to overcome the Spirit of God within us. When we forego our time of gathering, when we forego our time of privately being with Christ, letting His Spirit speak to us. For me, and forgive the overcommunication for a moment, for me, being in California was not about a vacation. For me, it's about a tree a very specific cypress tree that just happens to overlook a bay in Carmel. And very few people know it, but it's smoothed out in just the right place that if you climb into it and find it, you can slide, lie there and just sit and stare at the ocean for hours. It is my happy place. And going there and getting quiet in that way does something to settle my spirit, and I'll sit there for hours all day long. My family will go elsewhere as if they're with me. Sometimes they're not, and I'll sit there. Now, that's a long way to go to find that place. If that was all I had, or if that's all you have is your vacation, your break, your time, you're in trouble because that doesn't come soon enough or often enough for you. So another place for me is right over there. Oftentimes when no one's in here. Times in my office 
times when I'm driving and I get quiet until somebody cuts me off and then everything else unleashes again. Each of us have that place where we need to get quiet with Christ and let the bitterness be rooted out and live out Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The alternative is what Frederick Buckner says in regards to anger. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are giving and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. And then he concludes by saying, the chief drawback, though, is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. End Sermon 1. We've been talking, though, about Moses and the children of Israel. And there's this very disturbing thing that occurs near the end of Moses' career that relates to what we're talking here but has broader implications and profound theological impact for us. The first thing we shared is easy. We all identify with the anger. If you, you should be easily able to grasp it. This next one, you need to engage a deeper level of your spirit and of your discernment. For the second time, the children of Israel have come to a place called Kadesh. The first time they'd come up to it and decided not to go into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. They failed in that event. There was a moment there when they were thirsty. God provided water out of a rock. Moses went over, struck the rock, and water came out. This was the first time that they had approached that situation. Now, it's 37, 40 years later, and now they are back in the same place. New generation, the old generation's past. This is the new one who's supposed to go in and take the land. And this is what we find in Numbers chapter 20. They're camped at Kadesh. While they're there, Miriam, his sister, dies, Moses' sister. But there's no water for the people to drink once again. They're whining, they're complaining, everything else. Verse 6, Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people, went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron, his brother, must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You'll provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Okay? We're going to do this water thing a second time now. I'm even going to have the staff again. And so in verse 9 it says, So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord because it was a symbol of authority. And he takes that, and then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out, so the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Now, let's go back to that other passage of Scripture, verses 6 through 8, 13 here. You and Aaron must take the staff, assemble the entire community. As the people watch, what is he to do to the rock? 
What is he to do to the rock? Speak. At what point is he to hit the rock? Nowhere. Is he told to speak to the people? No. Gather them, and as the people watch, then, then speak to the rock, and the water will come out. But that's not what he does. So, going on to the next passage, he takes the staff, he gathers the people together, and then he begins to harangue them. Now, it's understandable. He's a leader who's just been annoyed. He's a parent who's done with the last bit of what the child's done. But it's not what he was told to do, and it's not the tone of which he was supposed to approach it. So he begins to harangue them. Worse, he does this. This is huge. Must we bring you water? What's this we thing, pale face, okay? What do you mean we? Moses is implying that he and God are going to do this. I ask you, did God need Moses to achieve this? The implication is God can't do it without me. We're going to do this. He begins to touch something that is only God's. And this is really significant. We should never touch the holiness of God. We should never take what is due him in praise and worship and take it to ourselves. And this is something that I disturbingly am seeing across the church today in our country. Men and women, but mostly men, in positions of pastoral authority who are taking so much uh, praise and honor amongst themselves and clever sayings and words and not rightly dividing the word of God and drawing that kind of attention and in doing so are taking the praise and honor that's due to God. We worship God, not an individual. And in this case, Moses takes that and touches the holiness of God by saying, we're going to do this. But here's the really huge thing. He was to speak to that rock. And he doesn't. He strikes it angrily. There's a little picture here, somebody's imagery of it. I think you can just throw it up there for a second. You can see the tone, look on his face there. He's hacked off. And he's going to strike it. So he just winds up and just smacks the rock. Now, the implication is two possibilities here, is that he strikes it twice. He's so angry, you know, and the water comes out. Or it could also mean that he'd only struck it once, but that this was, in fact, the second striking of the rock, and that's very important. What do I mean? Remember I said there'd been an earlier incident when he'd been told to strike the rock in that situation. This is now the second time he's striking the same rock. Now the fallout of this is pretty severe. Verse 12, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you'll not lead them into the land I'm giving you. In other words, Moses, you're not going to be able to finish the task. You're not going to go into the promised land. Whatever he did was so egregious in this moment, in this second strike, that it stopped him from going to land. What is happening with this? Very quickly, to understand this, we need to go back to the original striking. Exodus chapter 17. Forty years earlier, they're at Kadesh, they're thirsty. The people are complaining. The same thing's acting out again. And in the first set, verses 5 and 6, the Lord says to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, taking in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, watch this, I will stand, God says, before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And so Moses does this. So the first incident is we are a, 
a rebellious, sinful people in a dry and barren land dying for water. God says, I'm going to provide that for you. Here's a rock, but it's not just any rock. I'm going to go and I'm going to rest upon this rock. My holiness will descend. This is something different about this rock because the very presence of God is there and you are going to strike that rock with this staff of authority and then water will come out and fulfill the needs of the people. And Moses does right by it. But now it's 40 years later, new generation, the one that's supposed to go into Canaan, they're rebelling the same fashion, same way again. God's still going to provide, but there was something about that rock that was an important illustration that now Moses mars, he defaces. He's supposed to just speak to that rock. So once again, the rock pours forth the water by just a word, and it's all God, it's all this, and it's released there. Instead, he strikes it again. We find the answer in the New Testament quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's saying, For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed under the sea, through the sea. In other words, he's talking about the Exodus. They're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and drank the same spiritual drink. And then this, For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. There was an illustration God was trying to get across to a sinful people in a dry and barren place desperately in need of salvation. And so the rock that's going to provide, his very holiness rests upon, and in the striking of that, something comes forth. John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and uh, 12 said, and by that will we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands, performs his duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for our sins himself, he sat down at the right hand of God. See if you understand this today. A dry, thirsty, sinful, rebellious people dying. God's holiness rests upon a rock and he says, strike it once. And it's going to be an illustration for you. Christ, the very person and presence of God, comes in the flesh. And he'll be stricken once. Not sacrificed over and over again, stricken once. And out of that is going to flow the waters of living life that restores everyone. But you strike it twice. No, you've marred the illustration, Moses. You're just supposed to speak and let God's holiness be revealed and clear. By righteousness, because of touching the holy things of God, Moses should have been struck dead right then and there. But God's gracious. And so he says, you're not going to be struck dead, but you're not going to go into the land. And there's a deeper illustration even with that. Moses and the works of the law do not gain us entrance to God's presence. Only Jesus, that rock, that living rock that pours out the grace of God upon being struck in once, gives us the water that restores us. It's that work of grace and faith in it that then gains us entrance and freedom. And provision. This is why, in this specific case for Moses, two strikes 
were enough to take him out. I can't imagine how Moses must have felt after all the decades and decades of following God. This is someone who was a close friend of God, someone who understood his ways, but in the moment, his anger, his irritation, his frustration, maybe the loss of his sister that had just happened in Miriam, maybe just the irritation of dealing with these people things all the time. And so he, he reaches for what's not his. Do we need to do this? Instead of speaking... He strikes, therefore marring the very illustration that God so wanted to make. I can't imagine the brokenness he must have felt afterwards here, going, God, do I, all these decades, do I still not have a clue of knowing how to follow you? I've been following Christ since I was a kid. That's getting close to 100 years now. And there are moments that I am so brilliant. I got to tell you, no one else will tell you, so let me tell you. I am just so brilliant. I, I can see things clearly. I handle it beautifully. I, the, the very Spirit of God works through me in a moment of time. And it breaks me to see that. Then there are other times that I am so stupid. And you sit there in the brokenness of those moments. Not broken because God's worked through you, but these worked despite you in the moment. The water still comes forward for the people. But that's God's grace. It's in those moments of time that I know each one of us have that you wonder, do we ever really know how to follow him? And you can lose heart in that moment if, again, it wasn't for the grace of God to realize it's not by the works of law. It's not by the law of Moses we enter in. Thank God it is by the grace of Jesus Christ, stricken once for all our sin, the very presence and holiness of God, and then the water comes forward and refreshes even the dryness of our soul, even in the midst of political turmoil, even in the midst of a pandemic that continues to burn, even in the midst of the job loss and the family struggles and strife and all the other issues that can come into play. We played a song for you a ways back that I've asked to be played again. And there are two voices in this song, and the first voice is a song, of, is the word basically, or words of Moses, I would say, or of us if you so identify. And the second voice is the voice of a God who recognizes our failings and still judges us for those. He's righteous, but also makes provision in the midst of that. So if you're one that anger has overcome you in this season, don't just sit there and stew in that bitterness or feel like you can never draw out of it, but take the time this morning to submit that to God. If you struck out on things that you were told just to speak to or, or spoken to people that you were told not to, then let this be a moment of time of, of resting back into God's presence. In that moment of time, Moses thought he'd lost everything. 
but he didn't know that even his own life and his own moment would become an illustration for generations yet to come that could encourage and lift up. So Father, this morning, in this place, in this time, for those of us gathered and even for those of us scattered, we ask for your Holy Spirit to now go beyond what words have been spoken and to address our heart, our mind, our thinking, and our very spirit and meet with us here this morning. They say that you love me, don't say that you love me, because I don't know how to be yours. You say that you want me, don't say that you want me, because I don't know how to be yours. I still act like an orphan, I guess, and my hard heart breaks to confess. And even while you hold me as I cry on the floor, I still don't know how to be yours. Say that you love me, don't say that you love me, cause I don't know how to be yours. You say that you want me, don't say that you want me, cause I don't know how to be yours. I still act like an orphan, I guess, and my hard heart breaks confess that even while you hold me as I cry on the floor I still don't know So love me, you hate me, I'm not going. 
unless you come, will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you Moses is known as one of the greatest men of God. He's revered. And the law that he brought down from God is still to be respected and regarded. But Moses' time passes. And as the children of Israel approach their final destination, after all this journey and are going to come home, it's not Moses, the revered man of the law that leads him in. It's Joshua. Joshua, whose name means the Lord is salvation. In the New Testament, the same name shows up. Only there is translated as Jesus. We can respect the law and should still, but it's by His grace. It's by that rock struck once that we receive the water of life. If you have not submitted your life before God, if not repented of your sin and turned to Him, there's one month left in the craziest year of all time. I wouldn't wait. We're going to continue to gather wisely and carefully. Please respect that. But I think there's going to be a celebration that's going to come in these next couple of weeks, folk. Let's not, in the darkness, lose sight of the grace and glory of the God we serve. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that even though we don't know how to serve you at times properly, you still do not walk away from us. That even in our anger and our failings, that you still come alongside us and you still our hearts and quiet us. That you draw us into your grace. Continue to teach us and lead us as your church and we lift up this nation to you as well. 
We commit these things into your hands. Go before us, we pray, into this Christmas holiday season, and may you be honored properly in all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.